This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. This episode is brought to you by Emerge Creative Services. From our podcasts, newsletters, and online content channels, Emerge.com is the largest audience of AI-focused business leaders anywhere online. Companies selling AI products or services into the enterprise use Emerge for thought leadership, to educate executive buyers, and to build lead generation pipeline. To learn more and download our uh, AI marketing guide, you can go to emerge.com slash AD1. That's E-M-E-R-J dot com slash AD1. You can get our media kit there and learn more about our work here at Emerge. This week, we're joined by Suez Oliar, uh, who's the VP of Digital Assistant AI and Integration at Oracle. He's responsible for Oracle's AI Digital Assistant and Integration Cloud, a business that's grown from zero to 500 plus customers in three years. And it operates as a unique startup within Oracle. Suez, thank you so much for joining us today. Dan, thank you for having me. Great to talk to you again. Uh, I, I know that we're going to be going pretty hard on the future of conversational interface, which is really what I see as the meat and potatoes of this episode. I'm very excited to get into it. But I think it's probably relevant to talk a little bit about your backstory here and how you got into all of this. Well, how did you initially get into the space you're in now? So very quickly that, Dan, so I started my career in network management, and I soon realized that there are a lot of these wireless carriers that were pretty much uh, building networks for people to talk to each other wirelessly adding data to it, right? And so I quickly sort of realized the value of data over the wireless networks, which meant that, hey, I, I in about, what was it, 96, 97, I really realized the value of building mobile applications that would ride on this network. So I quickly sort of uh, formed a startup with some of my colleagues uh, in the CRM space, and we started building mobile platforms at that time supporting, you know, devices like Nokia's and the Blackberries and Windows Mobile of the world that pretty much are non-existent today. But that sort of got me really excited about, about experiences, end user experiences. I mean, for the longest time, we, or uh, even in some cases today, we, we sort of have to live with the atrocity of terrible user experiences. And I saw sort of the mobile technologies really sort of being truly being able to work any place, anywhere. And then, of course, the magic of 2007 happened when um, uh, Steve Jobs came up with the iPhone, and that just changed the world of, of user experiences. So I've been extremely, extremely fortunate and lucky in my, in my career to uh, you know, be in the forefront of sort of the Internet and the wireless and you know, web technologies, mobile technologies. And sort of uh, when I joined Oracle, sort of we were, I, I had my own startup in mobile. I worked for SAP there also. Uh, working on IoT, which gave me a good experience and appreciation for everything's connected as opposed to people connected. So when I joined Oracle, I was working with the mobile team, the IoT team, and we got to sort of the the decade of mobile where pretty much you had an app for everything, right? So you remember the famous, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's an app for everything. Yeah. Uh, and we had an app for everything. I soon I started realizing that, and sort of looking at how my, teenage daughters used to operate, right, uh, or use their mobile phones. Uh, and I realized that I had close to maybe 50, 60 mobile applications on my device only because I used to love interfaces and I would download just to get an experience of what. So uh, you're, you're that kind of but, guy, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly I realized that, you know, actually I end up using only three or four apps, <laughs> right? So we suddenly have app fatigue. And I look at my kids, they were pretty much on Facebook Messenger, Snapchat, and Instagram. They didn't know that you could actually talk to someone on the phone, but basically they, all they did was chat. And Facebook Messenger was so that you could chat with old people like me, uh, while Snapchat and Instagram for all their cool friends. Yep. So that sort of got me thinking that uh, you know we, we sort of started seeing this hockey stick effect of 
messaging, which really sort of, you know, with, whether you take WhatsApp or WeChat, Slack, you know, Telegram, uh, you know, all of these. Uh, uh, and, and of course, uh, what was it 2011? We had Siri and uh, 20, was it 2015 or 20, yeah, 2014 or 2015, we had um, Alexa, right? And so, so sort of that really got me uh, thinking about, hey, perhaps, like, it got me thinking about what makes messaging that much more easier to use in a mobile application, right? So obviously from a development perspective, it's it's a lot more easier. But from an end user experience perspective, it's the fact that I don't need to download an app. I don't need to get trained how to use an app. I can use my natural language to communicate. And most importantly, human mentality today is, if I were to leave you a voicemail or send you an email versus chat with you, you would respond to the chat a much more quicker and faster mm. than returning my phone call or my email. Yeah. And so that's what it got us thinking, which was, hey, that is a huge opportunity for in the enterprise, which has really sort of lagged in terms of great user experience. And so we started thinking about, you know, what's the best user experience? What if you had no experience? What if you had no UI at all? And that's sort of where conversational UI or conversational AI came into play where we said, we said, hey, what if you give the enterprise a jump and say, hey, you'd be able to converge with your data regardless of the kind of you know, application that you have, both in the back end or in the front end. And that's sort of what got me into this uh, conversational AI at Oracle. Got it. So, and clearly, I guess there's a lot of folks that are thinking about how important this paradigm is and how important it will be in the enterprise space. Clearly, you folks are marketing to that domain. What sorts of sectors right now does Oracle mostly serve? You know, when we think about where this paradigm is starting to sort of roll in, not just for where's a Chinese restaurant near me, you know, on my phone, but, you know, potentially for brands to start to leverage this, you know, for their customers or for their internal employees. What are the sectors where your conversational work is focused today? Yeah, so there are two there are two vectors to this, uh, Dan. One is certainly what we call the vertical vector, which is what industries are embracing conversational AI. And then the other vector is sort of the horizontal business processes, which is sort of more generic to sort of say, hey, what business processes could be well served by conversational AI across the enterprise? So I'll start with the following. So the lowest hanging fruit where we see the ROI, immense ROI, is in customer service, right? Um, So imagine sort of you are calling, you know, uh, Lululemon or Nordstrom or Macy's or AT&T or your, your favorite airline, right? And, you know, both sort of, if you look at it from a perspective of the end user, typically today you use either, you know, a phone call uh, or a chat. Uh, and most cases you would sort of, you typically get, you know, please, please hold while I get someone to answer your question or, you know, you, you, you sort of give your whole life story and then someone sort of says, oh, you're asking about that. Let me, let me, pass you on to somebody else who can help. And then they'll start by saying, okay, what's your first name again? There's no context. You know, there's there's a lot of sort of terrible customer experience and customer service. And that's sort of from the user perspective. From the enterprise perspective, it's the cost. And not only the cost of, of providing customer service, but also sort of the, there's just a change in sort of the uh, churn that they get in customer service, right? So to get in a new customer service agent, being able to train them, uh, to get them to speed, you know, it's it's just a it's a very high cost. So there, you know, it it makes a lot of sense. And then also, sort of about sixty between, and this varies by industry, fifty to eighty percent. That's along. That's a big broad band of those 
queries coming from the users are very simple queries like what time do you guys open you know can i do my returns you know? yeah so there are a lot of simple faq type or hey what's the status of my order which is very very common right so the idea there is you know so in customer service being able to very quickly build a, a conversational ai component that allows you to sort of offload you know these queries to the to a digital assistant or to a chatbot to respond to the user uh, and then being able to do call deflections where you know, or or escalations to human agent when the bot either doesn't know or it's very complex, giving these agents more time to provide true, proper customer service. So I'll give you a quick example. Like we have a customer called Hermes ParcelNet in Europe. Uh, they're, they're a public reference. So they've been live for now, I believe, two years or three years. Uh, last year, they saw over 60% deflection. That means, Dan, that 60% of your user queries never went to hit a human at all. Yeah, and they yeah. were able Get a response, right? Hey, so, what so, kind of business is this again? Just out of curiosity, they, they I've never heard of it. Sorry, they do parcel delivery in Europe. Uh, for okay, Amazon. okay, got it, got it, got it. Yep, makes so sense. Like so, yep. Supply chain world. stuff, yep. That's correct, correct. So, so we're seeing a tremendous amount of such customer service type queries, uh, or, or uh, and that's across retail, finance. We have lots of banks that provide that kind of service for customers. We have uh, finance, retail, telecommunications, manufacturing, supply chain. So, so a lot of anything to do with customer service, that's sort of the lowest hanging yep. fruit because you can really show an ROI. A very similar there, a similar sort of, you know, uh, you know using a bowling pin analogy, the, the pin that's closest to that is sort of your employee self-service, right? So IT help desk uh, or, you know, HR help desk, right? So anything where internally you're providing, uh, here the customer support is for your employees. And so that actually is now really sort of becoming huge for us, especially with our HCM or our human capital management applications, ERP applications, where you as an employee of an organization can be asking any kind of questions from payroll to, hey, you know, how do I get email on my iPhone to I want to procure a laptop. So all of those sort of both customer facing and employee facing both are really sort of very, very uh, positive today in the, in the market. Got it. And so, you know, yeah, customer service as kind of the low hanging fruit for conversational interface, I don't think is probably that surprising for many people. Most, a lot of our market is in the, the financial services space. Companies like a city or an Amex have the, the biggest call centers in the world. And, uh, you know, clearly there's ROI, as you had mentioned, if you can deflect 60% of messages, even some tiny percent of that, that's going to hit the bottom line in some way. And clearly that's taking us to kind of a different sort of customer experience altogether. You've been focused on customer experience for you know, Lord knows how long working with various tech companies. When you look ahead, you think about where Oracle's going, you think about the zeitgeist of customer experience that chat is going to start to bring to bear. How do you envision that? How do you kind of paint that picture of, of the future we're headed into? Right. So I'll sort of break it into three components of where we see this going, right? So number one is adding voice as a as a channel of interaction, right? So today, a lot of this is using like Skype or um, you know Skype for Business or what Microsoft now called Microsoft Teams or Slack, right? Uh, in the enterprise now, externally, you could be using you know WhatsApp and WeChat and Facebook Messenger for consumer facing. But more and more, we're beginning to see as a result of a lot of the consumerization, if you like, with th- with what we call virtual private assistance VPAs like Alexa. I mean, yeah, Alexa and Google Home, etc voice is becoming more and more critical. And and this is one of the reasons sort of uh, Oracle has built their own enterprise-grade voice 
And, and the reason for that, uh, Dan, is uh, you know going back to security, right? Customers, uh, enterprises don't want their data to go to Amazon or Google or Apple, right? Especially if you're asking about, hey, w- what's my paycheck? What did I get last week? They don't want the data to go there. Uh, GDPR compliance, PI compliance. But more importantly, right, if you look at this consumer-grade voice, and they do an amazing job. I mean, you can see all the demos with Google Voice and all that. Pretty awesome stuff. But but it's not defined, designed for the enterprise in terms of understanding uh, domain vocabulary. For example, you can just hmm. try this out yourself. You can say, hey, what's the EBITDA for Nordstrom, right? And none of these vendors or these uh, voice uh, VPAs would understand what EBITDA is. Oh, now, definitely. Like, yeah, oh, a general voice yeah. is not trained for that, of course. Exactly, same thing right? with same thing with you know picking out drug names. You know what is uh, you know you name some crazy chemical in some uh, painkiller. Like a general system is obviously not going to get the jargon. Absolutely. So being able to extend this, and it's not just the ability to extend it, but but giving the customer, giving our customers, the enterprises, the tools to be able to extend it because we can't scale otherwise. If I went to all my, you know, Oracle has about 400,000 customers, there's no way I can scale by having a, a system do that, uh, by, by us doing that. So by by enabling our customers to be able to extend voice. So, so that's that's number one. And also what happens as a result when you use voice, Dan, is that you tend to get more expressive in the way you interact as opposed to when you type. So being able to handle very complex linguistic capabilities like superlatives, follow-up, context, you know, negation. So this is where the, the, the engines, the machine learning engines for NLU, NLP, or natural language processing have to get a lot more advanced. And that's sort of what we are working or what we have been working on. The second thing is that when you look at conversational AI today, a lot of it is sort of request response. Hey, you know, what's the balance in my account? Yep. It's $5, yep. right? Or this is sort of one thing we're doing with a very large telecommunication provider is they want to be able to sort of help their users sort of say, hey, you know, I have a change in marital status or, or I have a newborn in my family. What should I do? If you look at mo- most chatbots, they just sort of say, oh, go and download sort of your W-4 if you want to do benefits or you go and change the benefits for your provider, blah, blah, blah. But this is sort of where we say this is truly should become an assistant for the user, not just a chatbot that just give you an answer. So what we do is sort of say, oh, okay, so congratulations, you 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 know you've had a child. What's the name of your child? And then sort of take these details and then follow the whole process all the way through, so we can actually perform the action for on behalf of the user, right? So adding what I call more process capabilities in the enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Right. Rather than just one, you know, uh, so for example, right, let's assume that you are moving from, you know, Texas to California or from Seattle, Washington to California. When you do a change of address, that's pretty straightforward for anybody to do. But for you to recognize that, oh, now your pay grade change, uh, your pay changes because you have to pay state income tax, which you didn't pay in Washington or Texas, having the context and awareness and helping the user through that process. Right. It's not as simple as changing address. There's a lot of, you know, downstream impact that happens as a result of changing address or could happen. Right. So that's sort of an example of process. The third thing is what we call intelligent automation. Right. So this is sort of where we sort of get to understand who you are as a user. Right. What's your context? What's your personalization? What events that you care about that I should be looking for? For example, right. Let's say that you're a manager and you approve approve things. Right. Now, you may have a certain habit where you sort of look at very quickly, you may you glance at a request that comes in and says, yeah, this is all normal, standard, I'm gonna approve it, right? So to be able to understand what does a standard mean, which could be, which is completely different for you and me, right? 
And then be able to sort of say, you know, sort of get the confidence of the user to say, okay, next time around, hey, I saw you got 100 requests for approvals. 70 of them seem to be standard. Here, I, you know, here's sort of what I mean by standard. Here's the things that you need to look at. So if I can quickly glance through that 70% that are standard and I say, oh, this looks good. I hit apply. Then the next state around, I could start automatically start looking at, you know, approving it on your behalf. And so now you have to deal with maybe 10, 20% of those approvals, right? This is what I call intelligent automation, where you're sort of understanding the user, understanding the process. One one quick other example, quick example I'll give is expenses for today, right? So today at Oracle, we do expenses via an expenses chatbot, right? We go, we take a picture, you are done. You know, the only thing I know is if there's an exception, handle the exception, otherwise it's done. It literally takes me 15 seconds to, or even less to, to do my expense. But now what we're doing is we're adding intelligent automation. So for example, checking to see, hey, is this a duplicate? You know, does this expense, I've gone to a restaurant, and let's say I had 80% alcohol and 20% food, that's an exception. So I can then immediately flag it rather than go way down the chain for someone to take a look at it and then I forget all the context of it. There may be a very good reason why I probably took 80% of alcohol there, right? So catching duplicate records, flagging uh, suspicious merchants, you know, detecting out-of-policy purchases. And, you know, and, and sort of this is where it gets even interesting, like confirming restaurant prices. And if you take this further into invoicing or, you know, in recruitment, so I can automatically look at resumes and be able to then, you know, process it and then have a conversation with the user based on that resume, right? So the, the, it is, and, uh, it's really exciting world that we are stepping into, uh, the conversational AI along with AI in the backend and process Terming this the intelligent automation platform really sort of is exciting for the future. Got it. So it just I, I want to kind of nutshell some of this stuff right before we wrap up because I think there's there's some facets to unpack here. One of those is kind of being able to enable action, so to get something done outside of just the conversation for the user who's asking for it. And we can imagine how this will transfer to the B two C world. You know, the the consumer universe. I'm sure that. I think Alexa is a great example of, you know, order me batteries, get me Chinese food, whatever the case may be. You're not just chatting with the thing, you're chatting with the thing to get a specific action done. Of course, everybody needs Chinese food and everybody needs batteries. In the enterprise, you're looking at discrete cases. Is the hope here that you would be able to find discrete cases at scale across companies? Because it would seem to me that obviously some companies will have a, when I say this, you know, enact this process. Or when I say this, go take this action. Yeah. So I I can imagine if we had, let's say 20 banks, we might have a number of those. If I say this, or if I ask this question, I want you machine to enact this action, not just give me a response. There might be some instances that where that's the same. There's probably a lot of bespoke individual use cases within a company, within a specific department or division. As someone who's building kind of applications for the enterprise, is the goal to find that those commonplace applications that might work across a sector or across different sectors? Or is the reality really that we're going to have to embrace the nimble uniqueness of each individual company, where those processes that will kick off in the background when I make my commands, we're just going to have to embrace that those are going to be very, very bespoke enterprise to enterprise. What's your perspective? Right, Dan. So a bit of both, right? So what, what, and this is sort of the uniqueness and what keeps me really excited about Oracle, right? So Oracle's been in the application business for 40 years, right? And so we've got the experience and the expertise of data and processes that people have been doing. So what we're doing is, not only are we building the platform for conversational AI, which is sort of what my team builds, but that same platform is consumed by the applications team across HCM, ERPs, SCM, which is supply chain management, 
customer experience, sales, service, marketing. And so what they're doing is they're building these out-of-the-box models for conversational AI plus these processes, right? So one is that sort of you have out-of-the-box samples, applications that do this for you. Now, as part of my team, we focus on what's called low-code tooling that, like you said, right, hey, I've gone to this customer, their process is a little bit different uh, than this other customer. So what we do is we provide this tooling which does not require rocket scientists or more specifically developers. And so this whole there's a new whole phase of low-code development that Gartner is yep, really yep. talking about. And so we have focused on low-code development where you can quickly go and tweak these processes either starting from a baseline that we've provided or even from scratch if they like. Got it. So yeah, that, that that's, I, I guess the ideal of this stuff is that a vendor with a bunch of PhDs like you guys won't have to be the one to build out every single if this, then that solution within kind of a, an ML ecosystem. Um, and it sounds like you guys are aiming to work in that direction. Obviously, we've got a long ways to go, but it's going to be an exciting world to step into and sue us. I appreciate you giving us a little bit of a preview of what the future might look like. So thanks so much for joining us on another show. Thank you, Dan, for having me. Enjoy the talk. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. We're trying to continue to bring you excellent guests, top-tier folks to really drive insights in your AI initiatives and strategies. We've got the head of digital for the whole country of France, who's going to be on the program very shortly here. We've got Nuance Communications, IBM, some big names coming up. So be sure to stay tuned in. If you're not already subscribed on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, be sure to search for the AI and Business Podcast there. You can also look up our other show, the AI and Financial Services Podcast, if you're interested in more use cases there or just say subscribe to our newsletter. It's just emerj.com, emerge.com. We're a market research firm. On the footer of emerge.com, you'll actually see a space to enter to sign up for our newsletter and receive all of our latest interviews, coverage, and insights. If you want the latest on best practices for AI ROI, AI adoption, and new use cases, then again, you can sign up at emerj.com. That's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I look forward to catching you in our next episode. Thank you.